0: Welcome to The Future Belongs to Creators. I'm your host, Nathan Berry. I'm the CEO at ConvertKit, and I'm joined by my co-host, Barrett Brooks. He's the COO here at ConvertKit, and we're on a mission to help creators earn a living. This show is about turning anxious energy into creative output during times of uncertainty. All right, welcome back to another episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. I... I am your humble host, Barrett Brooks. And this is Charlie Prangley joining us from Spain in the evening of Friday, which I appreciate. The inimitable Nathan Berry, which is not to be confused with a strawberry, is on vacation today. And so he won't be joining us. However-
1: You I'm- got me instead.
0: <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Charlie leads the creative side of our marketing team, um, has been a long time marketing designer on, on the team and is also one of the most well-known creators who works at ConvertKit. So Charlie, Thanks. welcome back.
1: Thank you. Thank you. Yes. I've had the honor of being on the show, I think once before, so happy to be back for a and a session. I've not done one of these yet, so I'm excited to see
0: I love how this it. goes. <laughs> I love it. So as an intro, uh, let's first check in with red, yellow, green. How are you doing today, Charlie?
1: I am feeling very green today. It's been a roller coaster of week, honestly, just, I don't know, I, you know, this, but the pandemic, man, it just feels like groundhog day, groundhog week rather, where it feels like every week is just the same thing, you know, same routine. And that was really getting to me midweek, but you know, it it turned around, picked up again and I'm feeling kind of good, looking forward to the weekend. We've got plans to do something different for once. So that feels good. How about you, red, yellow, green?
0: (laughs) Uh, let's see. I was up quite late last night preparing for my workshop. I kind of gave myself two jobs over the past couple of weeks. As everyone knows who listens, we launched ConvertKit Commerce, which allows people to sell digital products right inside of ConvertKit. Really exciting. It's even available on the free plan. Obviously, paid customers get access to. And to celebrate, Nathan and I and a couple other teammates launched products. We actually revisited old products and then relaunched them. And I decided to take a product I built back in 2012 to help people find meaningful jobs that we talked about, I think on the last episode, actually, and, uh, do a 90 minute workshop on it. It turned into a two hour workshop that ended about five minutes ago, <laughs> 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 uh, but it was good. We had a great crew there. Some of the listeners of this show were there.
1: Yeah. I can see in the chat we've got, um, Sean was there. So yep. that's
0: awesome. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Sean and Teddy actually, um, so yeah, it was good. I'm, uh, I'm excited for this weekend. My family and I are taking a vacation. We're driving about three hours down to a little mountain town in central Oregon called Bend. And uh, I'm gonna go fly fishing with my father-in-law on Monday and Wednesday, and then just kind of relax in the mountains, which I'm pumped about. Nice, yeah. that sounds lovely. Today is Q&A Friday, um, ooh, ooh, ooh. which means that if you're live, you get to ask the first questions. And while well, y'all think of those, um, we got one on Twitter, which is uh, from Jesus Sanchez. He says, in terms of freelance work, how do you go about tackling pricing when working for international clients? You probably Good have questions this than me.
1: Maybe only a little bit. Honestly, I haven't done a whole lot of freelancing, but I do have like, my own approach to this. Usually, I like to try price in my client's currency. Because I feel like that helps them out. You know, if you send them a price in your own currency, the first thing they're going to do is go and convert it to their own anyway, to see what the value would be for their business to work that out. So I don't know. I just think it's a good look to take that extra step and do that conversion yourself. With the accounting software I use for my business, it's very easy to generate invoices in any currency. So that's easy enough. And sometimes if, if the client is perhaps in a region where I don't really know the currency that well and don't perhaps feel confident quoting in it. Like uh, just recently, I had a, a YouTube sponsorship client where their business is based in the UAE. So I don't know much about their currency. So for that, I usually quote in USD. It's sort mm-hmm. of like the global standard almost. Yeah. Um, even though neither of us are based in the United States, that's the currency that we're dealing in for this project. But right. yeah, that's that's how it's worked for me.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. I've never, I guess that's not true. I, when I was doing business coaching, which I think we've done an episode on, on building a uh, coaching practice, but uh, I used my US prices even when I was working with coaching clients across the world. So okay. I had someone in the UK, I had someone somewhere else in Europe as well. And I just quoted them in, in US dollars. I don't remember how exactly i build. I think they had to figure all that out. I kind of put the burden on them. It's probably not a great. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know if that's
1: good advice to be giving out. (laughs) It's
0: not good advice. (laughs) I think if I were you, I would do the translation work or uh, not translation. You know what I mean though? I would transfer conversion rates on your side and, and then round to a price that makes sense in the local currency if you want it to be the most friendly. And then if you want to do the easiest thing and like you're not hurting for clients, then I guess just quote them and your standard price. Either in local currency or USD. I think it's if it's a little bit harder to quote in local currency if you're not on the euro or the US dollar, probably because um, other currencies are less common. So, like working from I don't know, let's say like Russia to the US, and and quoting in uh, Russian currency would probably be a little odd for a US client because you know US people are US centric, um, <laughs> which is a whole other topic. But uh, yeah. I would quote in, in their currency if you can.
1: Yep. That seems like
0: solid advice. Um, we could both answer this question. Sean asked, uh, how did I find ConvertKit and why did I want to work there? And maybe why do I mm. want to keep working here? But I'd love to hear your answer to that too. How did you find ConvertKit and can you share the story of...
1: Uh, yeah. Jordan I love this team? story. <laughs> okay. So... I feel like I kind of didn't find ConvertKit. ConvertKit found me. Um, I was at a conference back in, I think it was 2016 was this conference, the Sean West Conference. I was a speaker at it. So was the great Nathan Barry. And that was really the first time that, you know, I'd heard the name ConvertKit, but I'd never looked into it. But Nathan gave a talk about pricing strategies and he was really funny on stage. He gave him great advice. And it just seemed like he really got, you know, creators and what we were doing. And so that I was like, oh, this guy's really cool. After the conference, he invited myself and a couple of friends out for a lunch. You know, the conference had ended and he was like, should we go grab a bite? And me and my friend were like, yeah, great. Nathan Barry wants to have lunch with us. That sounds awesome. Went and had lunch. We spent a few hours chatting in this pizza shop about design, about work, about all the things. And partway through the conversation, Nathan says to me, so Charlie, have you ever considered working remotely for an email marketing software company? And I was like, what a weirdly specific question. Uh, and our friend Levi so it says, um, I'm pretty sure he's offering you a job. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, right. Like, wasn't even thinking about it. Because I honestly wasn't looking for a new job. I wasn't looking for, for new work at that time. Um, but obviously, I was convinced. I ended up here. Chatted with Nathan small chatted with some more of the team. And um, we decided mutually that it would be great for me to join. And um, that's why I'm here. And it's part of the reason why I'm still here too, is that connection to creators and the great people that I work with. It's it's a lot of fun. And I've also, like surprisingly for a small company, had a lot of room to grow here and to be, you know, defining the career that I want to have, which I'm really grateful for.
0: Yeah. You know, on the, what keeps me here, I have similar answers, but in terms of how I found ConvertKit, uh, I actually found Nathan first, or we found each other, I suppose, in a moment of beautiful universal serendipity. We were both at a conference called World Domination Summit, run by a guy named Chris Gillibo, actually here in Portland. And that conference both introduced me to Portland, which became home for me, and uh, also introduced me to Nathan and a whole group of peers that we met. This would have been 2012 when we first met. And we formed a mastermind group and met every week for months and months, really, and then started doing uh, twice a year retreats together. We would gather the whole group from across the country, and uh, those were kind of where the seeds got planted for our team retreats at ConvertKit. Actually, was mm. we had this experience with our mastermind group, and not too long into us doing that group together, Nathan started ConvertKit as a side project. I was working on my own thing at the time, and you know, the group of us were kind of just there for each other. So we were all kind of advising Nathan on ConvertKit. We helped him come up with the tagline at my parents' mountain house on one of our retreats. And uh, so while I wasn't working here from day one, I very much felt like I was there on the ground floor, you know. And then I shut down my business, went to work at another company, and Nathan started kind of dropping hints like, hey, you want to come run customer success? Once they got through the dip of ConvertKit and he started hiring a team. It's like, oh, I don't know. I mean, I have a job. I'm enjoying it. Like I kind of, I don't know. Hey, you want to come lead marketing? Oh, I don't know. You know, I got a job, you know, I'm kind of enjoying it. And then uh, eventually I, things came to a head at my job and I had a different vision for the company than the guys I was working with. And, and I ended up leaving. And so then I called Nathan. I was like, hey, all right, let's do this. And he's like, well, now I filled all the jobs. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But we worked it out. I mean, we had been friends for so long at that point that, I mean, it was a relatively obvious move for both of us to find a way to work together. And originally I came in and led like special projects. We had this list of ideas we wanted to do. We wanted to start a conference and make a coffee table book and do an annual report on the blogging industry and do meetups around the world. And we just started picking them off one by one, project after project. I don't know, not even six months really after I joined the director of growth, stepped down and that opened up a role to lead marketing. And so I took on marketing, which was what my background was anyways. And two and a half years, almost. Yeah. Maybe more. I don't know. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Time flies. (laughs) In
0: a while, I, um, I got a job offer to go to work for a mentor of mine who I adore and, was super pumped about it, like planned to move across the country and everything and let Nathan know. And we had our like emotional, you know, moment of tears and hugs and everything. And then when
1: you say moment. (laughs) Moments. Yeah.
0: (laughs) We let different people on the team know, and there were, there were some moments, but that turned into number one, I realized how appreciated and respected I was in a way that I really hadn't seen before or hadn't noticed, I guess, because I think I tend to underestimate it, underestimate myself at times. And then um, Nathan and I just got into a conversation about what it would look like for me to stay long-term and really lead the company with him. Looking back, you know what he was asking me to do from the beginning to join early with him. And we worked out a, a deal for me to be able to stay on as COO and kind of play a bigger role in the company. And so similar to you, Charlie, I've had this opportunity to grow and grow and grow over time to now where I feel like, this role feels like the most natural embodiment of what I'm good at. Coaching people, setting strategy, leading process improvement, being a, a counterpart public face to Nathan for the company. It's just a lot of fun and it provides a lot of different avenues for me to exercise my various skills because I'm very much a generalist in terms of I can do a lot you know, this deep in a lot of different areas. I'm not an engineer. I'm not a designer. I'm not any one thing but I can be dangerous in a lot of areas. And so this gives me the flexibility to do that, which um, which I really enjoy. So that's what keeps me around. Also, just like our mission, we're growing really fast. Our customers are awesome. Like there's a lot of things going for us here.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Let's see. Chris asks, how's the CK Commerce beta going? What's been the initial response from the first batch of beta users?
1: Overall, good, I would say is the answer, right? Yeah. It's been really exciting to see how many people have are already selling products like that quickly, you know, um, cause we are rolling out. A, it's a slow release for this beta. We don't want to overwhelm this new system that we've built by letting all the, you know, I think we had nearly 10,000 people on that wait list. <laughs> yeah. Letting them all in at once um, that, you know, don't think the engineering team would like us very much if we did that, but you know, we've been slowly letting people in and it's been awesome seeing people just get to straight to creating things.
0: Yeah. Nathan and I launched our products first, I think. And then Alexis mm-hmm. on our team who has been on the show, launched hers, We've, I think we've released it to 10 customers at a time, maybe per day, but maybe even less than that. It's very few people, like less than a hundred have access right now. 12 people have a commerce product from our data right now. There's been over $6,500 of, of revenue earned by creators on the platform. And three people, all Nathan, me and Alexis, have successfully received our first payouts on Friday. Friday is when Ooh. we process all the payouts. And So everything seems to be functioning correctly so far, which is really exciting. And we'll see as we continue to add people. You know, We're, we're mostly just making sure that money flows correctly. No one gets double charged or, or doesn't get their money like they should, that the infrastructure powering it can hold up. And then we'll ramp up more and more as, as time goes on. But part of our vision for 2025 is for creators to make a billion dollars on our platform. And so we're in the very early stages, but I'm really excited to see how it ramps up to, to millions of dollars a month. I'm sure it'll ha- it won't it will happen overnight, but it'll feel like it goes by really fast. Yeah, for sure. Charlie, actually a question before we keep taking these other questions, the questions I, I have for you is how do you balance full-time work with such a thriving kind of side hustle that you have? Because you've been doing yeah. it for a long time and I think a lot of people are trying to balance that.
1: Yeah. So for anyone who doesn't know, I've been running a YouTube channel for, I think it's almost seven years coming up in October will be, I've got about 170,000 subscribers just like cross that milestone this week. So that's pretty exciting. And obviously that comes with a lot of, you know, a lot of people contacting me um, a lot of the time when you've got an audience of that size, I have a couple of podcasts as well that I do. So yeah, there is a lot of stuff going on. I think I'm constantly juggling things, right? I'm never doing everything perfectly. But for me, and what I always have to keep in mind is that my side projects are passion projects, that I'm doing them because they, they fulfill me and they like give me something that my job does not, you know. I really love teaching and educating and, you know, sharing knowledge in that way. And that's not something that I really is part of my job, you know, apart from maybe with the team internally. Yeah, yeah. It's really like filling that bucket for me, my side projects. And so any new idea I have or, you know, any new thing I want to pursue I always got to check, like, is this going to fulfill something or is this going to be taking something away? That's one of the reasons actually, you know, we started off talking about freelancing. I don't do a whole lot of freelancing because I get my fill of design work in my job. I don't really feel the need to be doing any more, you know, hands on the tools, design work than I do, you know, in my day to day. That's why I don't freelance much because I feel like I'd burn out on it, on on that, you know, creative efforts. And I want to make sure I'm saving that for my job. It definitely is a balance and it's about being okay with just doing a little bit every day and maybe not making as huge strides as the full-time creator is, you know, I maybe do an an hour in the mornings, an hour or two, depending on how early I wake up that day um, on the side hustle one day over the weekend. And that's, you know, all the time I get that week. And so it makes you be really purposeful with that time and make sure that you're spending time on the things that you enjoy doing and that you want to be doing for your side hustles.
0: Yeah for sure. Love that. Let's see. Brian Reisman asks, may I ask you how you start? You can always ask us anything y'all always (laughs) how you start and invite people to join you on something new you're building, like an email list for instance, when you're not entirely sure what it will look like. I don't want to bait and switch. It's a great question. I think this is like one of those questions that when you're a thoughtful, empathetic creator, you know, you think about these things ahead of time. You don't want to make someone feel like you told them one thing, gave them another. So my first thought here is create a hypothesis. You know, we're all just working on hypotheses we have or ideas that we have. And I think if you can just make an early promise, like I want to create, or I'm thinking about creating something like X. I'm thinking about creating a series on the most important societal issues of our time. Which is something I'm thinking about. I want to run a podcast on like people who are experts on education and climate change and all of these different issues. And then personally message some people. You know, you don't have to like blast it to everyone, but just personally message 10 people and say, Hey, you know, I'd really love to have an initial audience that I can work with and write for or create for. I'm thinking it'll be about this. I'd love it if you join my email list and you can give them a heads up ahead of time. Like I might change directions if it's not working out or whatever. And people can always hit unsubscribe. That's the thing you got to remember is as long as you're working in good faith and you're being transparent and you're working in public, someone might say that you're an a-hole or something in an email because people are mean online. But generally speaking, I think you'll have the understanding of the people in your audience. I don't know. What do you think, Charlie?
1: Yeah, I agree. I went through a pretty big change in my channel a few years ago where I started out doing a whole bunch of different content. There was like Fashion content, there was DIY projects as, alongside the design stuff. And when I knew I wanted to change it up and commit to just doing design, because that was really the thing I was passionate about, I did worry about the people who were there for the other content. And I was like, oh no, they're going to be disappointed. But like what I came to realize is, you know, they can get their fill of that content from somewhere else. And if they are sticking around, it's because they enjoy me as a creator and that my personality has come through in the stuff I've been you know, producing and that maybe they came because they wanted some outfit advice, but they stayed because they liked the person who was presenting it, you know? And so then they might be interested in hearing other things that I want to talk about. And I think you'll find that too with, with any sort of changes you make along the way, the people who are there to be your fans and to stick by you won't really care about the exact specifics of the topics you're talking about. And if they want to leave, that's okay because they're not your audience and, you know, you're not serving each other and more people who, who are interested in the thing you're talking about, they will find you.
0: For sure. There's a saying that people come for the content and stay for the community. And I've definitely found that to be true, that if you're publishing or you've got ideas and people are attracted to the idea, they'll check it out. But really what they want to know is, can I trust you? Do I like you as the creator? And can I feel a connection to you? And if you create, honestly, and from a place of authenticity, a lot of times people will just stick around to see what you're up to. And it creates this really interesting kind of flywheel where you go from attracting people to the content, they get to know you and they just want to know what you do. And then they'll kind of buy whatever you want. That's the idea behind true fans, right? Is come for the content, stay for the community, become a true fan and buy anything you put out. And so you end up in this position to just maintain that trust. Your job is to maintain the trust. And not to take advantage of it. And I think as long as you stay on the line of, which by already asking the question, you're staying on the right side of the line. Absolutely. Of maintaining yeah. the trust. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Teddy says, Charlie, Charlie, <laughs> could you, could you talk about any differences from redesigning the ConvertKit homepage versus more typical projects? <sighs> maybe tips on working with higher ranking stakeholders you don't work with on typical projects? So just like it's, it's like maybe the question is the context is there's kind of a lot of pressure. There's a lot of traffic yeah. that gets pointed at ConvertKit.com, and so mm-hmm. when you're working on something like that, that's maybe a little higher stakes than normal. Do you approach it any differently than another project?
1: Definitely, much more thoughtful and purposeful with it than other projects for sure, because it is a lot of traffic and very high stakes. You know, you could publish something new and completely tank the conversion rate of the website then it's my fault that we're not reaching your goals, you know, that's really scary. Uh, it's a lot of pressure. This project in particular, the homepage hit at a really bad time in the world too, because I was needing to be in like the super creative early wireframing brainstorming mode right when the pandemic hit. And, you know, that just was not a creative time for anybody. And so I'm really proud that I managed to push through that. And it took me longer than I wanted, but, you know, to get to where we got to with the homepage. Normally with a high stakes project, we would probably test the new version versus the old version when we're putting something live. That's usually the approach we take to it just to check this conversion rate issue and you know, to make sure. But with this version of the homepage, we were very sure that we wanted to do something different. Our previous homepage was very product focused. It was like a feature tour through our product, very common in a lot of SaaS companies, makes a lot of sense, right? You're educating people on exactly what your product does, but you know, we like to do things differently at ConvertKit. And we really wanted our homepage to be more brand focused and for you to look at our homepage and get a sense of who we are and what we stand for as a company. And we wanted to make creators the hero of our brand rather than like the features of our product in particular. Because, you know, at the end of the day, they're only there to help creators do the amazing things that they do. Um, so we took this really more like storytelling approach to talking about things about the product, and we just went for it. We did not test the like do an A B test between them. We just shipped the new one live. Luckily, it's turned out great. and you know conversion rate is staying strong, and I've been getting great like qualitative feedback on it too. But that was, yeah, like a bit of a different approach, I guess, with this because we already knew we wanted that different direction. Mm. And as for working with higher ranking stakeholders, it, honestly, like it's a, for me, I think I worry about it more than they do. Like maybe you can speak to this Barrett, but during this project in particular, I was constantly being like, Nathan Barrett, I need feedback on this. Like, what do you think? Is this okay? And you were like, we trust you. Like, go ahead and do it. We've put enough out to the beginning and now like, we just want you to run with it.
0: <laughs> yeah. We have a very clear vision for what we're trying to do in the world. Yeah. And Email, which is kind of how we traditionally get couched and we're growing and growing beyond that as time goes on, is a competitive market, you know? I mean, it's saturated in a lot of ways. There's no end of options out there for sending emails to people. But we're not really about sending emails. Like it's a tool for helping creators earn a living. And so, you know, if you go to all of our competitors' websites, so focused on like automate your marketing, automate your marketing, automate your emails, whatever... (laughs) it's like, yeah, sure, fine, automate your emails, but towards something bigger. And the bigger for us is we believe, like we truly believe that the we say the future belongs to creators. It's the name of the show. It's a tagline we've started using. It's on the bottom of our homepage because the economic movement of the world is back towards individual human beings using their creative potential to earn a living. Because the more efficient we get as a society and the more jobs get automated and the more of that rote kind of like work you have to do for hours on end goes away, the more we unlock this creative ability. And so we want to power that movement more than we want to like give you a mirror image of our competitor to compare to. That's not a winning strategy. That's like a, as Seth Godin would put it, that's a race to the bottom. You know, we're just Mm -hmm. trying to see who can sell it for the least amount of money. We're actually trying to be, the or give voice to a movement of people who are earning a living differently um and so that's the approach we took it's like hey cool let's make it happen because we're gonna like we're gonna be okay either way. even if our traffic drops off a bit we're, we'll build it back up from where we start from and so i think that's some where some of the trust comes from is saying look we're all aligned on vision we know you have the vision we know other people in the company get the vision so once we have a direction go for it have fun you know if we mess it up, okay, we'll learn from it. And on some level, that's like, that goes back to the meaningful work framework I shared a few episodes back of having the freedom to fail is powerful. Like knowing that you can build that site and launch it. And if it's completely screwed up our metrics, okay, let's learn something as opposed to like, Charlie, you messed it up. Get out of my company. You know, that's not how we roll. No. Um, (laughs) So that's a big part of it.
1: Yeah. Another thing I'll say that's different with this project. um, So I design in Figma and I'll like create a new frame, like a duplicate of the design to try different things out as I'm, you know, working, working things out, working out what I want to do. A normal project might have like maybe 20 different versions of things that I've tried. The homepage project in Figma has over 90 different (laughs) artboards. So that's like, that's what it took to get to where we are. Maybe one day I'll do a video on my own YouTube channel about like, the different versions and all the decisions that were made as part of it.
0: <laughs> yeah. There were so many, so many options. Oh yeah. I mean, fundamentally, we're just trying to translate a belief system into something that resonates. That's what yeah. it is. And if you look at a lot of the projects we do, creator sessions that just wrapped up another session today, our uh, creator stories and our coffee table book that we do, our documentary series, the homepage, like it's all one story. The story of earning a living as a creator. It's making creators the, the hero of, of what we do. Chris asks at ConvertKit, how many people on the team have a specialist background and how many are generalists more like Barrett? Okay. So generally speaking in a company's trajectory, especially a startup early on, you need generalists because you need people who can be flexible and get a lot of different work done. You might hire like a software engineer who can also write copy and who can also design a little bit and do product management because it turns out you can only afford two people. And so they better both be able to do a lot. And the bigger the company gets, the more room there is for specialists, because now you've got more and more segmented roles to do. What I find is that senior leaders of companies often have some level of generalist specialty in addition to a deep layer of expertise. Um, I would say if, if I have a deep layer of expertise, it's in people development and strategic planning which is what a COO role is designed to do. And then within each team, you typically have one or two generalists combined with a bunch of specialists because you still need those like people who can flex between projects and move from thing to thing as priorities change. So I'd say we're probably like 65, 35 specialists to generalists now. Like we more and more, like most of the roles we hire for these days are specialist roles. And so a lot of the people who are operating as generalists are either Senior leaders or uh, longtime tenured people who are able to do a lot of things for us. It might be a little more like 75-25. What would be your answer? Well,
1: what would you consider me as? Specialist or generalist?
0: I think you are a specialist moving into leadership. So you're, you're broadening your scope of work, mm-hmm. which makes your focus areas generalist, but you have a specialist skill set in design. Right. So you've got like that deep T that's really nice as a skill set, where you can, you you know, you're a content creator, you make videos, you write podcast. But I mean, at the end of the day, you're a designer, you're a talented designer. And so you kind of have both elements, which is perfect for taking on more responsibility over time because you have that rapport that comes with, Oh no, I'm an, I'm an expert. Don't get it twisted, but you can also be broad with what you do.
1: Yeah. That's interesting. Cause I feel like, um, Even like within design, then there's like, you could be a generalist designer or a specialist designer, you know? And I feel like when I started at ConvertKit, I was doing more generalist stuff than I am now, which has been interesting. I think that happens as a company grows too. And this is part of what I was talking about earlier about um, career development and, you know, being able to go where I wanted my career to, uh, in that we've been able to bring on freelancers to do the parts of my job that I don't particularly enjoy. And even though I can do, I don't want to do. And that's helped me focus a lot more in in that skill set.
0: Yeah. Totally. Okay. Well, we have finished our queue of questions. Do you have any questions for me, Charlie? Anything you've been just deeply wondering about how I approach my work or what we're doing at ConvertKit?
1: Well, I'm pretty sure I know what we're doing at ConvertKit, but I'd love to hear from you what it's been like over the past couple of weeks to step back into like creator mode, you know, Mm. as you've been planning this product to sell on ConvertKit Commerce, present your workshop. What's that been like for you to, to step back into that?
0: Yeah. On one side, it's vulnerable. You know, Um, Mm -hmm. I feel very competent and confident in my role at ConvertKit. I know what I need to do most days and, uh, and I feel very effective at doing it. And so I'm proud of myself basically for the work that I do day to day. And it's very different work from being a creator, like drastically different work from being a creator. And without a doubt, you know, Nathan and I podcast every week, obviously all of you are here because of that. And I still write some, but so much of my writing even is now internal. It's internal communications. You know, it doesn't get published. I probably write thousands of words every week, but no one ever sees it other than the company. And so the vulnerable piece is stepping back into unknown reception. I mean, I can speak confidently about where we're going at ConvertKit and what we need to do, but stepping back into an audience that I still need to build that strong relationship with is both exciting and kind of scary, just like anyone would feel. And so that's been fun to feel that kind of vulnerability. Revisiting materials that I originally created eight years ago, it's like looking at a snapshot of yourself in time. Mm. You know, it's almost like looking at one of those photos of yourself for back in high school or middle school or something where you look goofy You know, you have like a weird necklace on, bad hairstyle or whatever.
1: Something um, tells me you are picturing an exact image right now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I neither confirm nor deny. Um, Puka shell necklace and Ricky Martin hair is what I'm picturing.
1: Oh, I need to see that. (laughs) Um,
0: You realize how much you grow with time, how much experience adds to your ability to provide value to people. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm a decade into my career now, and that means I've just got a lot more experiences to pull from when I'm educating. And in a way, it made it harder because it wasn't just a simple edit. You know, it was actually a reframing of the education I wanted to provide based on what I know now. And so because I had this constraint of wanting to launch in a certain period of time, I had to do the version I could do and not really dive in and do like everything I wanted to do, not, not let myself be a perfectionist. And oh, am I a perfectionist? Um, yes, you are. <laughs> so embracing that, you know, and like teaching the workshop today. Yeah. I, I finished my slides last night. They're not as pretty as I want them to be. There's not as much imagery as I wanted there to be, but I got it out and now I can iterate on it. I now have a, in the same 90 minutes where I used to charge $500 for a coaching session, I made the same amount of money from more people, but now I have an asset. You know, I have something I can build on where I can sell it on a thank you page or I can sell it at the end of an email sequence to people forever now. And if I want to improve on it, great. I'll produce a new addition and then that'll be what I sell. But that's really empowering. You know, I mean, I, I've, obviously I've always known that that's empowering because that's why we built the company, but to experience it again, myself is so much fun, so much fun. It like puts you on the line in just the right way. And then you get to see the fruits of your labor, seeing the deposit come into my bank account today was like, oh, that's fucking cool. It's just that feeling, you know, it's that feeling of making money from something that you made and provided value for. There's not a lot. I mean, there's obviously many experiences in life, but in work, there's not a lot that feels better than that.
1: Yeah. And I think that the coolest thing for me, because I've been selling digital product lately as well. I made a font at the, the first quarantine project that I did was working on this font for sale. And it's just such a cool feeling every time I get an email where it's like, so-and-so just bought your font. And I'm like, oh my God, I was, I was doing something else completely different. And someone just someone just bought this thing that I made. That, that's so cool. Yeah, yeah, it makes me smile every time.
0: <laughs> totally, love it. Let's see, last question, and then we will go into a little ditty that'll take us into our closing segments. Um, oh
1: no, I haven't prepared a ditty. Maybe oh no, don't worry, I always,
0: I always have the ditty. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> what do each of us wish we were better at, professionally speaking?
1: That's a good question first thing that came to mind for me was honestly not, not necessarily a particular like skill or, you know, thing I need to get better at. It's um, the way I react to difficult conversations or high pressure situations or, you know, highly emotional situations maybe. I feel like my body betrays me <laughs> at times in you know, situations where I'm like really frustrated or like really care deeply about this thing and this other person's not getting it and I just start to cry. And I like luckily work at a company where I'm not viewed as like weak for, for doing that. Uh, so that's okay. Mm-hmm. But it frustrates me because I feel like I didn't intend for those, that water to come out of my eyes, right. <laughs> like get back in there. So that's something that I'd like to work on. Is just like, I don't know, having a bit more control and being able to process internally a bit more before reacting externally. And I think that's going to be really important for me as I'm like looking to move into leadership. Mm -hmm. Um, that's going to be, yeah, something that I'm looking to work on.
0: Yeah. I love that. A few things for me. One is uh, in terms of hard skills, I really want to improve my ability. I I think I have good taste in design and and very poor ability. (laughs) And I think a lot of that is because I just haven't done the baseline, the like 20 hours of work that it takes to understand color theory and fonts and layout theory and things like that. And I, I know it's not that hard. Like I probably need to take like a, a course and read a book and I'll be 80% of the way to where I want to be. But doing things like designing slides or basic website design and things like that, I'd love to be able to do more of that myself in a way that meets my visual taste. Not for any reason, like I don't need to do that, but I enjoy the satisfaction of creating something that looks good. And then secondly is I've always been very like teaching oriented. And my writing, and my speaking, and my podcasting, whatever. Uh, one thing I most enjoy is interviewing. Like I really love the chance that I get, chances I get to interview at our conference or past podcasts I've run. So I want to get back into that. But I also want to expand my writing abilities to things that are more like personal essays or philosophy, not like Aristotle or whoever type philosophy, but more of I just want to communicate an idea. I don't want to teach you. A how to. I just want to communicate an idea in the most effective way. Those are ways I want to stretch my writing a little bit, just to like get outside of where I typically thrive and that find new creative outlets. Basically,
1: love it. Well, I mean, I can help you on the design side of things if you need.
0: <laughs> That's right.
1: <laughs> I know a person.
0: <laughs> love it. All right. Creator of the day.
1: Question, is it the same song every time? Or do you just make it up on the spot?
0: (laughs) i make it up on the spot. (laughs) Love it. (laughs) Uh, Who are, or who is your creator of the day, Charlie?
1: So my creator of the day is this channel here called The Sorry Girls. This is a Canadian duo and um, they do like interior design, DIY projects. Their videos are like so well produced. Like they could be a Netflix show very easily the level of quality that they have. They have a whole team like around them. Um, And I just think they're really cool. It's just really awesome to see two women like using their power tools and cutting wood and crafting things and stuff like that. I don't own any tools myself, so I cannot follow along with their tutorials, but I love watching their stuff and um, definitely, definitely inspires me. They are my creator of the day.
0: That's awesome. My creator of the day is Krista Tippett. I mentioned that I love interviewing and I think it's, it's kind of one of my like magical powers is getting people to open up and share what they know, but I could get a lot better at it. And Krista Tippett spent a year or 10 years rather, or more at NPR, which is national public radio here in the U S running shows, and then started this podcast called on being that are just like deep soul filled empathetic conversations with interesting people And she is one of the most soothing voices and also most thoughtful question askers that I've ever listened to. And so I really, she's a role model for me in a lot of ways in terms of how she approaches making someone feel comfortable and allowing them to open up about whatever they know or whatever they want to share about their life experience. Um, I just like something really sacred about sharing your human experience in the world and being able to sit down with someone who can build enough trust without having known you forever is just feels like magic to me. So anyways, Krista is great at it. And on being, if you like podcasts is a fantastic podcast. That's my creator of the day. Do you have a resource of the day, Charlie?
1: I do. My resource of the day is Descript, which is an app that I've been using lately to make my podcast series. I just launched a series called inside marketing design, which is like an interview show with other marketing designers in the tech industry And uh, this is like the longest form videos I've ever done. It usually have like about an hour's worth of footage that I cut down to about half an hour, 40 minutes. And Descript lets you essentially edit that podcast footage by editing the text, you know, just as it's showing here in the video. So that's been amazing. Super helpful. Like it was mind blowing when I first saw it work. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely worth it.
0: That is awesome. And I will have to remember that. Okay. A lot of creators want to have a job and be a creator on the side. Charlie, you're an example. I'm an example. I love my job. I want to keep doing it. And I want to be a creator. If you're that kind of person, and if you're looking for a job or thinking about making a transition, that can be scary. I created my workshop that I gave today on that topic and it's now available in evergreen form. And so my resource of the day is my own workshop. I will promote my own work because I think it turned out pretty well. And I'm going to continue improving on it and you'll get all the updates over time. So, um, We'll have to post a link in the show notes because it's kind of hard to get to because it's got like a ConvertKit link and everything. But anyways, it's called The Most Meaningful Job of Your Career. That is all for today, folks. It is Friday. We've loved having you here. Thanks for good questions. And Charlie, have a good weekend. You too, Brian. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you didn't pick it up from the show, we make a tool called ConvertKit where we're on a mission to help creators earn a living by building software that helps you build an audience of loyal fans. If you want to give ConvertKit a try, you can go to landingpage.new to launch your next creative project. You'll be able to build a landing page and send emails for up to 500 subscribers totally for free. So again, that's landingpage.new. You can get started with your free ConvertKit account today.